0: Yeah? Okay. <laughs> Hi, I'm Claudia Bongars. I'm a covenant member. I'm part of the East MLK CG. And today I will be reading from Judges 8, 1 through 12. Then the men of Ephraim said to him, What is this that you have done to us, not to call us when you went to fight with Miriam? And they accused him firstly. And he said to them, What have I done now in comparison with you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better better than the grape harvest of Abiezer? God hath given into your hands the princes of Midian, Oreb, and Siv. What have I been able to do in comparison with you? Then their anger against him subsided when he said this. And Gideon came to the Jordan and crossed over, he and the 300 men who were with him, exhausted yet pursuing. So he said to the men of Sakoth, Please give loaves of bread to the people who follow me, for they are exhausted. And I am pursuing after Siva and Salmana, the kings of Midian. And the officials of Sakos said, Are the hands of Siva and Salmana already in your hand that we should give bread to your army? So Gideon said, Well then, when the Lord has given Siva and Salmana into my hand, I will flail your flesh with the thorns of the wilderness and with briars. And from there, he went up to Penuel and spoke to them in the same way. And the men of Penuel answered him as the men of Saccoth had answered. And he said to the men of Penuel, when when I come again in peace, I will break down this tower. Now Siva and Salmana were in Karkor with their army about 15,000 men, all who were left of all the army of the people of the east, for there had fallen 120,000 men who drew the sword. And Gideon went up by the way of the tent Dwellers east of Nova and Jovaha and attacked the army, for the army felt secure. And Siva and Salmana fled, and he pursued them and ca- captured the two kings of Midian, Siva and Salmana, and he threw all the army into a panic. This is the word of the Lord.
1: All right, new creations, how are we? Good, good, good. Hey, uh, football season is officially over, and so now the temptation to miss church, to be ungodly, just to watch the Cowboys lose, <laughs> it's past you now, all right? Uh, praise God, he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can endure. Um, hey, hopefully next season we're back to the mornings, and then all them bales will be removed from you, all right? All right. <laughs> Um, Hey, we are in week four studying our beautiful, broken hero, uh, Gideon, and uh, as we're looking at the book of Judges, I want to give a really, really high recap, just in case you weren't here, and I would encourage you to go back and to check some out and listen to some of the sermons if you've missed some. I know for me, they've been both nurturing, they've been really convicting and uh, challenging, and I hope that they've been a blessing for us as a body, but they're also building on top of one another, and so hopefully you'll be able to gauge with that. Uh, We're talking about pushing back darkness in this series at large, which is one of our distinctives here at the well. And the first week we talked about pushing back darkness internally. And so before we push back darkness out there, then we have to push back darkness in here. And if we don't, then everything that we do out there will be laced with a little bit of leaven, and a little bit of leaven ruins the whole lump. And so it's important that we find this holiness before we seek to be used by God. And then two weeks ago, we talked about our families and pivoted some to what God is trying to do in the midst of our communities. Because not only does he want to change darkness in here, but he also wants to change darkness around here as well. And often through the family is where we can see Christ working most clearly. So how can we push back darkness there? And then last week, Yusuf blessed us with thinking about this on a grander scale. And so, corporately, and really a big call from God. How can we bless the church or bless the kingdom of God, both individually and collectively? What does it look like to find what God may be doing in our life and push back darkness in really big ways? Yusuf reminded us hey, was it Gideon delivering or was it God delivering? And the answer to that was yes. It was kind of both in the reality. To remind us, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, which are often quoted, but things that we tend to forget. It says that you, right, all of us, we've been saved by grace. And that's through faith. And it's not our own doing. So it's not like we're the ones that are doing something here. This is God doing. In fact, it's not a result of any of our works so that no person may boast before God. So God is the one saving. But then we skip verse 10 where it says, you are Christ's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And so is it you working or is it God working? Yes, yes right? God wants to partner with us or rather have us partner with him that we would push back darkness together. God wants to use you, family. God is looking to, for those whose hands are ready, whose hands are strengthened by the Lord to be used by God to push back darkness. And so we ain't that dope, is what Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 tells us, right? We ain't got that much inside of us and yet God wants to use us to make an impact. In verse 10, And so today we kind of tie all of that reality together, the internal, the family, the bigger call, and we tie it all together. And you already got little sermon props, all right. I'm going to talk about that some. I'm excited what we're going to do with these as well. In fact, on the back of one of them it should say winner and that person gets a new car. The person sleeping was like, what? Uh, Just kidding, by the way, if you're looking for that, okay. Wrong church, all right. We need your car, shoot, all right. Uh, But let's dive in. And so Gideon, he won this crazy victory. That's where we left off last week. And now his enemies are on the run and he's chasing them and trying to complete this work so that he might be fully freed from oppression. And his people are bugging, y'all. Right? We see in verse 1, Ephraim are like, why didn't you call us into battle? Okay, that's what they were sounding like. I guarantee it. All right? You see that there in verse 1, they say, hey, what were you doing? Why did you not call us? Hey, what about us? What were you thinking? They wanted glory and the honor of the battle as well. In fact, Yusuf showed us last week that they, this very thing is what was going to happen, that God warned them in chapter 7, verse 2. He says, look, I must shrink the army. Why? So that people would know that it was me that was the one delivering because if I do not deliver, then the people will try to take glory over me. It says, that, I think that's on the screen, chapter 7, verse 2, yeah? There we go. Israel will boast over me. They wanted glory. They wanted honor. They wanted to boast. They wanted the victory of God and the recognition of God. It was all about them. In fact, they didn't really seem to care about God's glory at all. They cared about their name and their fame and their significance. Now look at chapter 7, verse 24, though right? Gideon did, in fact, call down Ephraim. He said, hey, all the hill country of Ephraim, come on down and pursue the Midianites with me. See, if I was Gideon, I'd be like, nah, fam, I got them receipts, right? Like, look at it. It's right there, okay? Gideon doesn't do that because he ain't pagan, okay? But we see that the people of Ephraim, they were against Gideon. In fact, in uh, verse 1 again, it says that they accused him fiercely, This is biblical language for that of an enemy. And so it was like Gideon was wronging them to an extent, almost like Gideon was a Midianite himself. And so there's a couple of things that we can take from this right away. The first one is that whenever you, family of God, are serving the Lord, be careful that you're not like Ephraim. Don't be like the people of Ephraim here where it appears like you care about the things of God when in reality, you're only using God's mission to increase your own personal worth. That's not just me, right? It's like, tell me this is a good sermon. I mean, who are we doing this for at that point, right? Is this for me or is this for the Lord and for the body? And, and yet, all of us can get that twisted. We all feel it in our hearts. Sure, honor and, and encouragement, it's, it's, it's helpful, it's even uh, spurring on at times, but who are we doing this for? You see, at times we can use God's mission and God's purpose and what God desires to see happen and turn it for our own personal glory games as if our name being honored is the mission of it all as if our name being honored is more important than the work of god being accomplished you following this like aren't you tempted to do this it's like why do they have those gifts right like like why are they the one that gets recognized How come they get to do this part of this ministry? Or I want to be used by God in this way, not in this way. I don't really like the gifts that he's given me. I wish that they had those gifts. Why are they retweeting her quote and not my quote? I say doper things than she does, low key, right? Like like why does Tori mention this person in serving? I've been serving his bad behind kids for three years (laughs) in children's ministry. And I preach better than that dude anyway. I mean, all of us feel it at times, right? Unless I'm just real wicked up here and this sermon is just for me. Personal glory games is what all of us tend to play, is desiring the position of significance rather than the posture of service. Nah, no, y'all ain't with me. Significance rather than service is usually what we're after, is it not? That's a young man's game, and we're a young church, and that's something that it is easy for us to get wrapped up in, is our kingdom over God's kingdom. And you do not need this, beloved. You do not need this. God gives you eternal worth in his son. Your worth is found outside of you in Christ, not inside of you by what you produce. Your worth is found in the finished work of our King Jesus. God gives you eternal worth in his son and his mission is now a privilege that we get to serve and be a part of. Be careful not to be like Ephraim and be adulterating God's mission for your own personal insecurity boost. You don't need to do that. Your worth was secured and finished in the blood of Jesus. Unless we're saying his death is not enough. It is. We don't need to be the center of attention like Ephraim desired here. Secondly, though, not only can we be tempted to be like Ephraim and needing the glory of God, but we can also be on the receiving end of some Ephraims. You know what I'm saying? Whenever you're doing the will of God, sometimes it be God's own people that are against you. Notice, Gideon had to defeat Baal in the first week we looked at. He had to defeat the sin of his own family. Then he had to go defeat the Midianites. And now the enemies of of Gideon's are within Israel itself. It be your own people, y'all. Right? Sometimes it be the church that's stunting the mission of the church. Be prepared for this. Now listen, I, I know the danger of saying something like this. Because often it'd be super godly people that be rebuking you because of your sin and you'd be like, bunch of Ephraims, all right? No, all right, you being pagan, okay? And so don't be foolish, all right? Like listen to what others say. They may be pointing out a blind spot in your life, but also recognize that sometimes people are hating on what you're doing because of their own sin. Let the spirit of God discern which is which in your life. Whatever the case, whether it be your own sin, or the sin of the world around you, or even the sin of the church inside of the church, there is always going to be hostility when you are trying to do the mission of God, always. When you are pushing back darkness, family of God, darkness pushes back, right? Satan does not like it when you try to tread onto his kingdom and shine light in that. You will face opposition when you are doing the will of God, in fact, he'll do whatever it takes to prevent you from doing the will of God, even creating disunity within our own body. Be ready for this. And so what does Gideon do here? Well, he kind of reasons with them, right? He starts going in verse 2, and he's like, hey, listen, like, like the gleanings here, like, like y'all got this. In other words, he's like, hey, look, y'all are dope, all right? Y'all are better looking than me. You got more money than me. And Ephraim's like, yeah, you're right, you're right. And then they kind of chill out, okay? He strokes their egos and then their anger. That word anger is actually the word spirit. Their ruah, who they are, it was abated. It's a whole other sermon for another time because Gideon's motives weren't very pure here either. But we'll get into that next week. But it's clear that Ephraim is not in this for God. They're in it for themselves, right? Who are you in this for? Like, why are you here right now? Right? Is this for God? Is this for you? Is this for your family? Is this, who are you in this for? And so Gideon now, after feeling some of the hostility against Ephraim, he is exhausted yet pursuing in verse 4. We'll circle around to this phrase later. But then his people are hungry. And so they go to Sukkoth and they're like, hey, let me get some of that bread. All right. I need some nourishment, some, some sustenance. A brother hungry, let me get some of that chicken. And they like, play it please, these are my chickens. You better take care of your own chickens. And then the same thing happens with Penuel, right? And then all of a sudden, here's Gideon in the midst of this starvation, and he's hungry, and he's hurting, and and he's tired. It be your own people. These are Israelites once again. And like Ephraim, they're completely ungrateful for Gideon's deliverance. Listen, don't be like Ephraim and Sukoth and Penuel with the Lord. He has delivered you, hasn't he? And yet sometimes so many of us are just totally ungrateful for that. It's like we miss that he has delivered us from the, the army that is trying to oppress us, and instead we start asking for God, or when God asks us for a little bit of bread, like can you serve in this way or can you worship in this way, all of a sudden we're a lot more like Penuel than we are like Gideon, are we not? I mean, I feel a lot more Ephraim in my veins than I do the glory of God. I feel a lot more of the temptation to start thinking about my own kingdom and what this means for me than I do about the kingdom of Christ. And we see this is an easy sin to fall into. Now, for Sukoth and Penuel, their motivation is less about glory, and it's more about their own safety. Because they say, look, I don't, you haven't even fully won the battle yet, right? And so, in other words, there's still a chance that we can lose, and then if we lose, the Midianites will probably come back and then they'll punish us for, for our rebellion, for our fighting against them is probably what they're thinking here. And so they're more concerned with personal safety than they are with God's bigger plan and mission. Hmm. I don't know about you, but I feel a lot more Ephraim in my veins than Gideon. I want the blessing of God Without going to war with God. And then, in not desiring to go to war with God, I miss both the blessing of God and the presence of God while I'm battling with Him. Prudence, or so these people position, was the reason for not wanting to help the purposes of God prosper? Or was it faithlessness? It can be hard to discern between the two, prudence and faithlessness, wisdom and fear, our zeal for the Lord and our taking care of the things around us. But must our comfort always be the determining factor for our involvement in God's mission? Y'all ain't with me today. It's like, I ain't that comfortable. So I don't know if I wanna serve the Lord. It's hard, so I don't know if I wanna give myself to Christ. You're right, it's not comfortable, family. You're on earth, right? Like, Like we are always going to feel this brokenness of the world because we are not yet home, but must that be the thing that stops us from sacrificing for the kingdom of God, our comfort? And yet that's what it is here. And so Ephraim, they wanted to be called much earlier, and Sukkoth, they wanted to be called much later. And it's like, dog, can a brother catch a break? Right? Like like Gideon is facing it from both sides in reality. And what it really feels like in the midst of this is like, whose side are these people on? Like, are they on Gideon and the Lord's side, or are they on actually the Midianite side? Are, are they here for themselves you see this army that's going, that's fighting on your behalf that they are trying to win. And you're just like, man, or why don't you call me? Whatever it might be, desiring the glory or the win without the effort, without really getting involved in the fight. And this can actually work against the mission of God and what he's trying to do. Can I contextualize this for us a little bit? For our church, for example, we uh, want to see churches planted, Right? And it's easy for all of us to desire the win, but then don't join the army to actually get in the fight to help the win. And then what you're doing is you're actually uh, working against the will of God when you are doing this. And therefore, you begin to wound the people of God and even the name of God itself. When we're selfish like Ephraim or uninvolved like Sukkoth, we miss out on the blessing and the joy of the Lord. Now, I know the danger in saying something like that, at a church like the well, that it could be very easy to sound like all of a sudden we're focusing on the church. And I wanna say this very clearly, please do not miss my heart here. This does not have to be about the well at all. And so please, please, please do not mishear my heart and, and miss what we're saying from this and miss the warning of scripture from this. It does not have to be the well, but somewhere, some church, God, if you are a Christian, is calling you to get in the battle and fight y'all. Somewhere, it does not have to be here, you do not have to do it here, but find somewhere where they are pushing back darkness and jump and get involved in the fight for when we are not, then even though we may be a part of the people of God, like Ephraim or Sukkoth, we are not doing the things of God and that hurts the mission of God and the glory of God and that is your own joy lost, family get involved in the mission of God it does not have to be here, but somewhere in your life God is calling you to overcome the enemy of your own flesh or to push back darkness in your family, or to push back darkness in the world around us and in the church and to join with a mission of God. Somewhere he is calling you to be the light of Christ if you are a believer, because the light of Christ dwells inside of you and he did not put that light in you for you to put it in a basket and snuff it out. It's a city on a hill. The mission of God has always been what God is calling us into. And note, you do not have to do this alone. In fact, you cannot do this alone. There are still 300 men that are here with Gideon that is pursuing God's name together. And so there's always going to be this individual call and a corporate call. And when we bleed those together, we push back darkness for the kingdom of Christ, y'all. This is serious. Like, like I know that there's a heaviness in this because it is heavy, y'all. It's the glory of God. And the number one thing that Satan wants to prevent is God's name being worshiped. It's people coming into the kingdom. What we are doing here, it matters, y'all. It matters. Get involved somewhere. And so Ephraim and Sukkoth and Penuel, they totally miss it, right? which is a really big warning for us, it can be easy to be around the mission of God and not in the mission of God. It's easy to be around what God's doing and not in what God is doing. He has prepared a work for you, family, and so what is that in you? What is the work of Christ that God has prepared in you? And where are the Ephraims in your life that you need to remove that would prevent you from being all sold out for Jesus? Now listen, contrasted with this negative example, we have the positive example of Gideon and Gideon's faith throughout this section. Notice in verse 7 and in verse 9, Gideon knows that he's going to find victory in Christ. Now, where's the Gideon that you need to embrace in your life? Where you find this confidence in Christ. Don't miss this, y'all. There's still 15,000 men that are out there. And there's 300 of them. The odds still ain't that good, right? And yet, here's Gideon saying God will do this. He has this confidence in God now that he is going to move. Now, Gideon's acting a little bit sus here too, all right? I ain't gonna lie. Let's not get it twisted. But that's the sermon for next week. Come back, okay? Man's trying to flail dude's flesh and stuff, all right? In irony, I was working on this part of the sermon and uh, Micaiah, it was at nighttime, Micaiah came out went to the bathroom. And then she always like knows that if she comes and cuddles with me, she can stay up for five extra minutes, all right. So she's cuddling with me and she reads this section and she's like, wait a minute, Gideon says he'll come in peace and then he's going to break down the tower. That doesn't make any sense at all. Those two things are against each other. I was like, look at you, little (laughs) exegete. I feel like she got to stay up six extra minutes then, all right. So my man's ain't fully there either. Gideon's not, okay? But he's this beautifully broken hero. There's beauty and there's brokenness. That's why I love this character because I think that you and I can relate to this. We do not have to be the superhuman superheroes of the faith. Even with brokenness, God can use it and begin to maneuver in you to push back darkness. Family of God, you don't have to be perfect. You already serve a perfect one. God wants to use you to push back darkness. There's this faith in Gideon, though, that I don't want to miss. He's in Hebrews 11 for a reason. Now, I want to go back to this phrase, though, because I believe this is where Gideon's faith is coming from. In verse 4, he says that he was exhausted yet pursuing. Gosh. Um, I would encourage you to commit this phrase to memory. Exhausted, yet pursuing. Y'all, walking in the mission of God is hard. And taxing, and tiring sometimes. And yet exhaustion towards Christ is always worth pursuing. Because there's a life in it, y'all. Both in this life and in the eternal one to come. Listen, a lot of us are willing to be exhausted for a lot of things that have nothing to do with the kingdom of God. Yeah? We get exhausted trying to pursue that raise, exhausted trying to get said person to like us or to be successful at this or, or to, to raise them kids in a way that actually makes us look good, has nothing to do with the kids, it's our own glory. We get exhausted pursuing a lot of things that have nothing to do with the kingdom of God. And then sometimes we can come into the kingdom of God and feel like, dog, I'm tired here too. <laughs> right? Now don't get it twisted. There's a different type of tired in Christ. One tiredness leads to death and it consumes you and it keeps asking for more and more of you so you are nothing at all. The other tired sanctifies you and it asks for less and less of you as you put on more and more of Christ. There's a difference between the two, but there's tiredness in both of them. Even though I walk through the valley, God is with me. And when God is with you, then your yoke and your burden, it becomes light and easy, but you're still in the valley, y'all. There's still a yoke and a burden. It is hard sometimes, it can be exhausting, but exhaustion towards Christ is unlike anything this world has to offer for their return on investment of your input is nothing. Christ is eternal reward. It's himself. It is the kingdom of God. He is eternally worthy and eternally worth it. Being in the mission of God is not always easy, family. There have been many times where I have been freaking exhausted, y'all, walking in what I believe that God has called me to. I was talking with Tyler Collins this week, one of our uh, mobilizers here at the well, and he was saying how uh, in ministry he remembered getting called in and feeling like, oh, bet, like I have to go do ministry. And he was saying that, man, he was in this job where he was in sales and working with finance and people's personal finances. And it's just this grind. And he's putting in all of these hours. And he said secretly he was like, man, I'm about to go do ministry and drink some coffee. I got it made. And then he was telling one of our teammates that he was like, dog, I put in just as many hours. And now I have this emotional and spiritual side too. It's way harder. Right? Like, why did I pursue this? And I feel that sometimes, y'all. Like, even in my own life, it is just hard sometimes, y'all. It is exhausting and tiring. I think about this season in my life right now where I feel like I am running and running. And I'm like, yo, can I get some bread? And I ain't talking about money, right? (laughs) Like, just something. Can I get something? I think about it, even in our own church, right, like I'm the lead pastor here at the well, which means a lot of preaching and and vision and and trying to orchestrate different things, even things that people don't ever think about. Like somehow I've kind of turned into a real estate agent trying to find a dang building for us, right. And I'm tired because I keep getting these no's and and then I'm also trying to lead the elders and also trying to lead our staff team. But then I'm also like the community group pastor right now because we've been trying to hire for that mug for a while, and I'm trying to lead our shepherds and lead our coaches. And then I'm also kind of doing this AP sort of role where there's all these projects and I'm needing to help start and oversee. And, oh, by the way, we just sent off a church uh, and I'm their coach trying to make sure they make it and bringing on more so that we can keep pushing back. It's tiring, y'all. Like that's not to mention we just trying to sell our house and ain't getting no offers in this mug, Right. And it's like, dog, I'm having to pack up my suitcase and unpack every single night. That junk is tiring, y'all. I got four kids, right? And I got four kids. <laughs> <laughs> it's exhausting sometimes, y'all. I'm just keeping it real. Not looking for sympathy. Not, I'm just saying, look, y'all, life in Christ is hard sometimes. I had a teammate that came up to me this week and said, hey, are you okay? And I was like, I'm, I'm Gucci, what do you mean? And they're like, no, like for real, like I feel really, 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 really heavy for you. And I was like, I know, it's like exhausting sometimes, yo. Pursuing Christ and the mission of God, it can be tiring. And I remember about uh, six or seven weeks ago, right before we started this series, I didn't even think about the tie until I was working on the sermon this week. I sat over there and I just started weeping. I was tired. And I was just like weeping and I was kind of angry and I was like, I know what I was feeling. I had all these random emotions that were kind of coming out all at once, you know. And all of a sudden, I feel like the Lord told me, hey, open your eyes. And I like opened up my eyes. And the first eight people I saw, literally, I would name them, but I ain't trying to do that in the midst of this sermon, right? I don't want no Ephraims in this mug. <laughs> but the first eight people that I saw, I'm like, these people are freaking laboring for the Lord too. I mean, dying, like laying down their life that Christ would be made much of. And I feel like God took me to a verse I would not have memorized. I didn't even know it was in this passage of scripture where all of a sudden they were talking about the remnant and that all God needs is a little bit of a remnant. And if you were in the first gathering, a few weeks ago, I walked up and it was really awkward. I didn't know what to say. And I was like, let me read this random passage. Maybe this is for me. I was confused, Right. Because I was feeling this like exhaustion and yet knowing that as I'm pursuing, I'm not doing this alone, that God himself is with me. And that God has put all of these people that believe in the mission of God as well with me and with us. And that as we're doing this, yes, though you may be tired as you pursue, there is victory at the end of that. And that victory is always worth it, y'all. I know this isn't just for me either. Like even for our church, not just you individually, but our church corporately, this has been a hard season, right? I mean, we still meeting in the afternoons, y'all. Osaki like gave like six jokes about it to try to make it feel like cool. It's like, no, I don't nobody want to. Come on, man, <laughs> right? Like some of y'all don't run a marathon and you still at church. Like what in the world, right? And it's been hard, y'all. And yet, the remnant. And as people begin to believe. That as they follow the will of God in their life and in the life of the corporate people around them, as people lay their lives down for that, y'all, Midianite armies get overthrown. Satan's kingdom gets pushed back, y'all. The darkness that is destroying your friends, the darkness that is trying to encroach on your life, that junk gets pushed back. When the church lays down their life to make much of Jesus... And so how do you maintain this, this exhausted yet pursuing? I mean, first of all, you're in good company. Abraham was exhausted, yet he pursued. Moses was exhausted. He was like, Lord, you could just kill me, lokiyo. And God's like, go back down there. By the way, they're worshiping a calf right now, all right? (laughs) He was tired, y'all, right? Elijah was tired. Jeremiah was tired, on and on and on. How do you maintain exhausted yet pursuing? Ephraim, they looked to themselves for their own glory, and therefore they missed mission, and they were exhausted, and they pursued no more. And Sukkoth and Penuel, they looked to themselves for their own comfort. And they were exhausted and they missed the mission of God as well. And as we'll see next week, even Gideon looked to himself for some vengeance and at the end of his story missed the mission of God. But we have someone greater that we can fix our eyes on, family of God. His name is Jesus. You see, Jesus Christ himself was exhausted, yet he pursued. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 38. He's talking to his disciples and he said, uh, then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. He's tired, y'all. And then he goes and he falls down. He starts sweating blood. And he says, Father, if there's any other way, he is tired, yet pursuing. You see, the response of Sukkoth is to set up a Hebrew taunt against Gideon. Gideon gets taunted by his own people for doing what God called him to do. And the Son of Man can understand this, y'all. Taunted by his own people for doing what the Father told him to do. You see, there's a Savior of our souls that commissions us in a way that only he can understand. Because many years after Gideon, there would be another judge that comes. In fact, the judge of all the earth. And there would be another army that was oppressing the people of God. It would be sin and death and Satan himself and every single person around Christ would be weary and tired. And yet where they fell asleep, Jesus kept pursuing y'all. And as he would cry out, I thirst on the cross. He would receive no sustenance. Just like when Gideon said, I'm hungry, and they said, we ain't feeding you, so Christ experienced the same thing. But rather than pursuing his enemies to kill them, Christ instead pursued us to deliver us and was killed for us. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it tells us to look to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, he what endured the cross is what the text says there, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of God. He was tired, yet he endured. And then verse three goes on and it says, "'Consider him who endured from sinners "'such hostility against himself "'so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted.'" In other words, as we look to Jesus, family of God, then we do not grow weary in the mission of God. As we look to Jesus, though we be tired, Yet we can pursue. When we consider him, we are able to endure, to be exhausted, and yet pursuing, Because we know there's a king who gives his life for us. Why in the world would we not give our life for him? So what does this functionally look like? To be on the mission of God, to do what God has called us to do. Listen, I very intentionally did not want to preach a rah-rah sermon today the way I think that most would have handled this passage. Because as I look throughout the scriptures, it's like, there ain't a lot of rah-rahs when we talk about getting in the kingdom of God. Christ is always like, yo, consider the cost, fam. Like, like, following me is hard. I don't want you to be tempted to think, man, it's just daisy and roses and then the enemy comes and tries to snipe you out and then you fall away because you think it was easy. It ain't, y'all. So I don't want to rah-rah us into this mission and say, man, we can take over the world. Man, the enemy is after us, y'all. That's clear all throughout the scriptures. I want to keep it real. And yet, I also know that we know he who has overcome the world. And if we already know him who has overcome the world, will he not also give us all things in Christ? So though it's hard To do the mission of God, family of God, I want to tell you straight up, I've been significantly more exhausted in the mission of God than in any other place on earth. And I'm telling you straight up, I would not want to do anything else. I would die 700 more times if it meant pursuing what I know because I have received Jesus in this, y'all. And when I'm tired, he says, look up and he gives me another gift. And it lasts for a little bit and then I get kind of tired and he opens up the scripture and then it lasts for a little bit and I get tired and I get more and more of Jesus and I can feel him chipping away who I am in my flesh and trying to highlight himself in me. I would want nothing else, y'all. Pursuing the mission of God is worth it. And so what does this look like? Well, each of us, I think it looks like something individually. And that's what we have these cards for. I want you to take them out and just look at them, okay. This is what I want us to make a commitment before God. And we're not going to have a ton of time to do this right now. And I don't want to like gas you up and we're all hype and we're like, we're going to take over the world. And then we go home and we get tired, okay. Like pray on some of this stuff. But I believe, family of God, that the spirit of God has been speaking to us throughout this series, I believe that a couple of weeks ago, you probably knew what it looked like to push back darkness in your own personal life. And so I would encourage you, hey, write that down and then write down some prayer that you want to pray for God. Keep this bad boy in your Bible and then pray through it. I believe he's done that with our family. I believe he's done that with the church. And so on the screen, I just have an example of what this could look like. This isn't mine, all right? So don't be like, oh, here's Tori's, all right? I haven't written mine yet, it's blank, okay? Mine says winner on it, I get a car, I'm just kidding. All right, but I want us to think about, hey, what does this look like? Maybe there's practical next steps, maybe there's theoretical next steps. Man, I would encourage you while we're praying, while we're worshiping, sit in here for an extra minute after the gathering is over and maybe write some stuff down. While I'm talking right now, if there's stuff that God has been speaking to you, man, write some of that down and pray through that, y'all. What does it look like for you individually? It's gonna be hard, it's gonna be worth it. And then what does that look like for us corporately as well? Well, as you know, as a church, we desire to see 100 churches planted nationally and 100 churches planted internationally. And even though it can be tiring, even though we just sent out like 45 of our best people and I'm like, yo, where's this person at? Oh, hey, with Juhan, right? And it can be difficult at times. I still believe though tired, it's worth it to pursue. That you could be exhausted yet pursuing. And so as we think about planting churches, I would encourage you, man, what is God calling you into? How is he calling you to to think about this actively and to to work in this? Or as we're trying to bless other people, to to build even this church, that people would understand When what is God calling you into? Part of the corporate is probably, part of your personal corporate is probably going to be our elective corporate as well. Or collective corporate as well. But I want to introduce somebody. If you're a covenant member, you already know this and you got an email from us. And if you're like, I ain't getting no email, it's in your spam, all right. (laughs) Google started hating. The enemy, you push out. All right, no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Go check your spam, all right. But uh, right after, by God's grace, we sent out Juhan. About a month later, we actually got our new church planter. And so I want to invite Travis and Excel DeLuna to come on up. Y'all come on up. You'll hear from them way more, all right? It's a two-year residency, and so you'll see this man's beautiful face more, okay? Um, but here's what we want to do, y'all. I want you to pray, okay? And I'm going to end this sermon even here by just praying over this family. Y'all, planting a church is hard. You were probably here when we sent out Juhan, and your friends left, and you wept, and it was hard and difficult, and, and yet it's worth it, y'all. As I go to the bridge, I'm like, yo, There are people coming to Christ already that you and I wouldn't have been able to reach. And so I believe that the DeLuna family will be able to do the same thing. That as they think about what does this look like to push back darkness, man, that we would be praying for them. That we would be nurturing them. My prayer is that some of us would go. And that we would help push back darkness there too. My prayer is that some of us would stay, but we'd send our friends and encourage them. My prayer is that, man, even if our friends don't go, that our prayers would go, that we would be thinking about pushing back darkness. What we are doing, family of God, I can't stress it enough. It's important, y'all. The church of Christ was God's mission, God's vision for the world. And so we want to plant as many of them things as possible. And so would you join us in praying over your own, uh, you know, things that God is calling you to, over us corporately? If you're at the missions intensive, you saw us pray over other people and send up. listen, God is moving, y'all. I want to join in praying that. So would you join in praying with me? Father God, we thank you. We thank you for, first of all, that you call us, Christ. You call us out of darkness into marvelous light. You have given us a mission and a vision. And God, sometimes that can feel so small or confusing or like we don't know. I pray that we would seek and try to find out what that mission and vision is. There were 300 other people with Gideon. We don't know any of their names. You do, Christ. You know every one of their names. And so, Father God, I pray that you would speak to us. Let us know what you're calling us into. That we would find our place in the story of God. God, I pray for those who do not know you right now. I pray that they would hear this invitation to join in the mission of God. To be a part of the kingdom of light. To step in that their life would have value and meaning and purpose that stretches way past this life. That they would feel that their life was not here to to, to make a little bit of money and then die. And that's it. That's it. (laughs) But that we are eternal souls that will go on living forever. That you have called us into the kingdom to live forever with you. And then to be a part of expanding that kingdom. Thank you, God. And God, I pray for Travis and Excel. I thank you, Father God, that man we get to bring in... Another church planner. Jesus, that we get to continue to think about pushing back darkness, that though it be tiring sometimes and we can be in the midst of it, yet we will pursue. And so, Christ, I pray for the DeLuna family. I thank you that Travis heard your call, Christ, and responded to it in this crazy step of faith. I thank you that Excel was receptive of that as well and said, yes, let's jump on and let's run. That they wanna serve you, Christ. I thank you for their children. I pray that their children would find great joy in you, Christ, even over these next two years. And that two years from now, God, as we send them out, that there'd be some of us that go as well and that through tears and through hardship of leaving friends, we know that we are pushing back darkness. We're all about that. So would you help us to invest into them, into this church, so that even if we don't see our impact, we realize, man, we're a part of something of, 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 of treading on Satan's kingdom. God, I pray for each one of us, though we may not be the church planner that's sent, we are still your missionary. And though at times our call can feel hard to walk in or or even, like, man, does anybody see this? You are a God who sees everything. And so would you use us, Christ Jesus, as individuals, as a church, to make much of your name? We pray this, Christ, in your very beautiful name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, y'all. Y'all give it up for them. It's always weird to, like, walk off stage. (laughs) Hey, as we move into our time of communion, I just want to encourage us, y'all. Listen, Christ's body was broken. Jesus had a mission. And a